It is Baptism Sunday. Would you stand with us? We're going to celebrate together as we have church family that has made this decision this morning to make this public declaration of their faith in Jesus. So come on, let's celebrate together.
trustworthy anchor for our souls. Amen. We're so thankful that we can enter into God's sanctuary where he proves over and over that he is a good, good father. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my soul. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my soul, and you are good.
walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed me yet Your promise Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my
promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed. Your promise still stands. Great is your serve a mountain moving God. Can we give him some real praise in his house this morning? Amen. Amen. It is so good to be in, in God's house this morning. And there's a lot happening, a lot that we have planned this morning. And, and I think it's just really important right now that we stop and praise God for the 20 people who were baptized this morning, declared their faith in him today. I was reminded this morning, just coming into God's house, knowing that we were going to be baptizing people. We're going to be partaking of communion here in just a couple of moments. But I was reminded this morning that no matter where we are in life, God always has more for us. It doesn't matter where you are. Romans chapter 8, it simply says this. It says, if God did not spare his own son, but instead gave him up as a ransom for all of us, how would he not then with him give us, freely give us all things? I want you to know this morning, no matter where you are in your walk with God, maybe you haven't even started it yet, but maybe you're a little ways on in your walk with God or a long ways on in your walk with God. If you are alive and breathing this morning, God still has more for you. I'm grateful for my... I'm grateful for my salvation. I don't know about you, but it doesn't stop there. Every day of our life, God still has more 
for each and every one of us. Why don't we just lift our hands right now and just thank God for his goodness in our life. Why don't we just build a big altar of praise and worship unto our God this morning. Father, we thank you that you are entirely faithful, that you've been so good to us, that you've saved us, God, that you've redeemed us, that you've set us apart, and then you didn't stop there, God, but you laid out a plan and a purpose and a future for each and every one of us. And God, I pray that every single person who is in this place today would know the beauty of the plans that you have for their life, that it would just come alive and awaken right before their very eyes today, God. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Today we look ahead knowing with faith that you have so much in store for our lives. So freely we open our hearts and say, have your way in us today, in your house, in your church. We prepare our hearts. We give this day to you. And we ask for your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, why don't we give our God a hand of praise one more time this morning. Amen. Would you go ahead and be seated this morning right there where you are? Students, if you want to go ahead and grab your seat right up front today. I know we still have many people who are coming in and finding a seat right now. And I just want to encourage you that if you have some space there in your aisle, would you just open your eyes a little bit and just make some space there for people who might be coming in looking for a seat right there near you? We'd appreciate that. And right now what we're going to do is we're going to partake together of the Lord's Supper of communion this morning. And as you came in this morning, you should have received the elements of communion when you came in. And if you did not, I just want to give everybody an opportunity to receive those today. So if, if you're in the building right now and you did not receive those, would you just simply slip up your hand, let our ushers see you right there where you are so we can get those emblems to you. I'll give them just a minute to do that. Slip it up nice and high so we can take care of you and we don't miss you there this morning. Awesome. As we're doing that this morning, I want to just take a minute and let you know, we practice what we call open communion here at the bridge. And what that simply means is that you don't have to be a partner or a member here at the bridge to partake in this moment. But we do believe that this is a time for believers, for people who have made a decision to follow Jesus. So we encourage you, if you've made that decision to join in with us this morning, whether you're visiting or whether this is your home church or not, we're really, really grateful that you're here. We invite you to join in on this moment. I want to give everybody a minute to get covered. Awesome. Well, as you're seated there, if you would just take those elements in your hand, you know, this is a very, very significant moment. And this morning, I know when you came, I don't know what your, your days looked like, what your week has looked like. When I came in this morning, I was thinking about the fact that we would be partaking of communion and be baptizing people today. And one of the most beautiful things about these moments are these are the things that bring us right back to the foundation of our faith. When we look at communion, we look at the shed blood of Jesus, the broken body of Jesus, and the cross. When we look back, we remember all that he did for us at the cross. There's something so beautiful about being able to look back and recognize that because of the cross, everything changed for all of us. Are you grateful for what Jesus did at the cross? When we can look back and remember that it was that sacrifice that Jesus made that paved the way for us to know God, to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be redeemed, we can come to this moment and look forward. And as we celebrated those people and with those people who were baptized today, my heart is just so full of joy and gratitude and thankfulness that I can look ahead in my life and that you can look ahead in your life and know that because of the price that Jesus paid, our future is secure, it's set, we stand on a firm foundation, and there is a purpose that we can live our lives with. I'm so grateful for that. 
We're going to partake of the elements of communion this morning. So I want to invite everybody one more time if you would stand to your feet with me. This is a moment of honor. This is a moment of praise and of worship. Right now, I want to ask if you would just peel off that top layer and grab that wafer, the bread, the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote about this, he echoed the words of Jesus, but he said this. He said, I give to you that which was given to me. This is something that believers, followers of Christ have been doing for centuries. And today we join together as a body of Christ, knowing that we honor, we remember, and we celebrate the thing that changed our future forever. Paul echoed the words, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took these things and he gave them to his disciples. He said, this is my body, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. And this cup is my blood, which is shed for you. And first with the bread, Jesus' body was broken so that our lives could be put back together. Today, when we partake of this bread, we know that our future and everything that we need in this life was paid for at the cross, our health, our wholeness, our provision because of the broken body of Jesus. If you're grateful for that this morning, would you join me and let's partake of the bread together. Then if you would open the cup, scripture says of Jesus in the same manner, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood that's shed for you. It's the blood of a new covenant or a new deal. It means that because of this blood that was shed, everything that was ever wrong with us could be wiped away, cleansed, and we would be made white as snow, forever to be seen as righteous in the eyes of God. And it's all because of that thing which we remember today, the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross that changed everything for us. If you're grateful this morning, would you join me? Let's partake of the cup together. Father, this morning as we partake of these elements of communion, we don't just remember. Yes, we remember with gratitude and with thankfulness in our hearts, but we look ahead knowing, God, that you have set our future in your hand before us, that if we would seek you, we would find you, that you would have a purpose and a plan for each and every one of our lives. And today, we thank you for what you did, but we look ahead to all that you will do in and through our lives. We're grateful for that sacrifice. We thank you for all that you did for us. Today, it's with humble and grateful and thankful hearts that we gather to thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our ushers are coming right now to receive those empty containers and collect those. So if you'd like to pass those to the end of your aisle, our ushers will be there to pick those up from you. And as you do that, I just want to encourage you, turn around, say hi to a few people, shake a couple of hands, hug some necks, make a few new friends this morning before you settle in and find your seat this morning. How's everybody doing today? 
Good to see you. I understand we got the Bridge youth in the house this morning. All right. We love you guys. We're glad you're here. I'm glad to see everybody here today. Let me welcome everyone and just say to you, not only thanks for being here today, but if this is your first time here, we really appreciate you being with us at the Bridge Church. We know there are a lot of great churches in this valley, and for you to choose to be here today, we do appreciate it so much. We hope you enjoy this day of worship, but also we hope that if you have any questions today, you'll give us an opportunity to answer those questions. Uh, out in the lobby, immediately to the right, the first table there, it's our Connection Center. If you'll stop by the Connection Center, they can answer any questions you might have. As a matter of fact, you can just stop by and say hi, and they'll tell you anything that's going on or everything that's going on in the Bridge Church. Just let you know we really are glad that you are here today. You can also check out the website, thebridgechurch.tv. There are more answers there. But again, we're just so grateful you're here. Can we put our hands together and welcome our first-time guests today? I'm anxious to get into God's Word today. If you would open up your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to finish a message that I started last week. It ended up being two parts because there's a lot to it to be shared. But before we get into God's Word, let's pray for just a moment, okay? Father, we love you. We thank you for the inspiration of your Word and for the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We open our hearts to you today, and we ask you to speak to us, give us wisdom and direction for our futures. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Last week I began a message, and I'm going to finish it today, talking about seasons of life. And really it's about transitioning from season to season. And we're going to look at two stories that really make up one story in 1 Kings 17. In just a few minutes, we'll be reading the scriptures. But before I get into those scriptures, let me just set this up and go back to what we talked about last week for just a moment. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us that everything in life has a season. There's a time and a purpose for everything under heaven especially if it's done in its season. It goes on to say each one of these things is beautiful in its season. And it gives us some contrasts of seasons. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. Two very different seasons, but each one is beautiful in its time. It says there's a time to dance, but there's a time to mourn. Contrasting seasons, but they're beautiful in their time. There's a time to gain. There's a time to lose. Different kinds of seasons. There's a time to speak and a time to be quiet. Different seasons. It even says there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. And every one of these seasons are beautiful in their time. The problem is, as human beings, we oftentimes have trouble navigating changing seasons of life. And what we talked about last week, and, and really the basis of this message, and the reason I'm teaching this is... Everything that's going on in life has a temporary nature to it. Life is always evolving. Things are always changing around us. Everything is in transition. But the problem is, it's our human nature that when we get our ducks in a row and we get things the way we want it, we want to drive down stakes and say, well, I just want to stay here forever. 
The truth of the matter is we can't stay in one place forever because the world is turning and life is always in change mode. It's not just transition and processes, but there's constant motion going on. And we have to be careful about getting into a place where we get our, our heels down. We say, okay, God, I want things just like this forever. And then seasons start changing and we get upset with God because we don't understand the nature of life. Things are always turning. So I want to talk today and finish this message about how to deal with seasons of transition, seasons of change. And, you know, let's go ahead and start reading in 1 Kings chapter 17, and we'll talk about for just a moment about what we shared last week. 1 Kings 17, verse 1, says, Elijah the Tishbite, now Elijah was a prophet of God, a bold prophet of God. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, now this is the prophet Elijah speaking to Ahab who was the king, but he was an evil king, an ungodly king, he brought idolatry into the land, all kinds of problems, there was wickedness everywhere. So Elijah goes under the inspiration of God and he goes to the king and this is what he said, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. In other words, he goes to the king and, you know, it, when you go before a king, you don't just go in and say what you want to say. It's hard to get an audience with the king. But Elijah got an audience and he walks in and says, because of the ungodliness you have brought to the land, it's not going to rain anymore until I say so. It's a big step to go in and approach the king in that manner. Look at verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. In other words, you, you got to run for your life. I'm going to go hide you, head off to this place, and I'll protect you there. When you approach an evil king in that manner, you need to fear for your head. So God says, I will hide you at this particular place. Look at verse 4. It will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went, and he did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, pause here just a moment. It's an interesting story. I mean, the prophet of God goes probably to some caves by this brook, some hiding places. He goes there to hide, and just like God said, twice a day, ravens fly in, and they bring him meat. Now think about this, okay? I don't know if it was squirrel, if it was groundhog, if it was big rats. I don't know what it was. Rabbits. I don't know what the ravens are bringing. I mean, it's a stretch for most of us to figure that out. But here's a bigger question. Where are they getting bread? They're not bringing vegetables. Where are they getting bread? I mean, this guy has meals. and He's got meals on wheels coming to the house, but he's got food that he's got to cook, except for the bread. It's already cooked. And you go, where is this stuff coming from? But it was God's provision for a season. Now look at the next verse, verse 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up. Why? Because there had been no rain in the land. Why? Because Elijah said it's not going to rain unless I say so. So this season at the brook, we don't know how long it is, but this story and the next story we're about to read covers about a three and a half year period. So there's probably several months he's hidden at this brook, living this life every day. The ravens are bringing him food. He's living with it. Now look at verse 8. The brook dries up, and in verse 8, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, 
Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Notice the words, dwell there. Now, the interesting thing is this place, Zarephath, in Sidon, it was outside the boundaries of Israel. It was not among the people of God. It was among a Gentile nation who were not serving God. Now, notice this. Go to to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. And you'll see I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin. And notice her descriptions. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. In other words, I'm here at the end of my road and you're asking me for food. And notice the words of Elijah, verse 13. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you've said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and for your son. Verse 14, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the words of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. Now, in this message, we're taking these two stories that really, you know, paint a big picture here of Elijah's life. But we're trying to see a little bit of it from the the widow's standpoint and a, a lot of it from Elijah's standpoint. And last week, I shared three thoughts about seasons of transition. Number one is obedience. In every season of life, if we will seek God, God has instructions for us. Most of them are in his word. Sometimes he'll speak to us by the Holy Spirit and impress things on our hearts. But in every season of life, even tough seasons, even seasons of transitions, God also always, always has instructions for us. And we have to learn to obey God's instructions. Even when they don't make sense, even when we don't understand, we need to learn to obey God. Number two, the second thing we talked about last week is the concept of contentment. Contentment. Contentment means to be self-satisfied. What it means is I choose to be satisfied in the situation I'm in. Now, this doesn't mean you don't look down the road and say, God doesn't have anything else. Zach's already talked about that this morning. It means I stand and say, God has made these promises to me. I believe he's going to do more, but I am satisfied with what God is doing in my life, and I'm not going to resist God. It's amazing, and I talked through this last week, it's amazing how many people make the worst decisions of their life because of discontentment. They get ahead of God, they want things that are not good for them, and they go find a way to get these things, and once they get them, they regret the decisions that they've made. It's Old Testament principle, it's a New Testament principle. We need to learn to be content with God's provision in our lives. And then the third thing we talked about was flexibility. Hey, life's always changing. 
We have to learn to be flexible. Psalms 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and God will give you the desires of your heart. That word delight means to be pliable. Be pliable with God. Be pliable. Be willing to let him work. Be willing to let him make adjustments. Be willing to let him lead you in different directions. If you're pliable with God, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes our pliability means God needs to change some of the desires of our heart. But if we'll be pliable in the hands of God, God will lead us into the plans he has for us. And God's plans are so much better for us than anything we could develop without him. God has great plans for us. But we've got to learn to be flexible in the hands of God. Now, now today I want to share two last things with you. The first one is something we talk about a lot around here. But I'm going to approach it from a little different angle according to the story. The first one is faith. First principle is faith. We got to be people of faith. Now, last week I shared that obedience is the greatest response and greatest show of our faith we can possibly exhibit. The greatest demonstration of faith is obedience. But let's go a little deeper into this. When I say we've got to have faith, what I'm saying is we have to expect God to do what he has promised. Expect God to do what he's promised. In a season of transition, you sit down and you go into God's word and you find the promise of God for that season. What do you do? You believe it, you stand upon it, you don't turn loose of it, and you expect God to do that in your life. Why? Because God can't lie. And if God's made a promise, hold on to it. As a matter of fact, if God's not made a promise, we've got nothing to build our faith on. Our faith exists because of the promises of God. So I need to believe the promise that God has made to me because he cannot and he will not lie. He will not fail us. And usually our struggle is with timing. But like I taught last week, the issue is not when is God going to provide, it's where is God going to provide. I've got to keep going. If he says go to the brook, I go to the brook. If he says go to the widow at Zarephath, I go there. If I'm going where God's leading me to go and I'm walking in obedience, then I have the basis upon which I can have faith to believe that God's going to do exactly what he's promised. And that's the essence of faith. You know, I, I teach faith a lot, but the, the bottom line to faith is God wants to be believed. Well, what does God want from me? He wants you to believe him. What does God really want? He wants to be believed. God wants you to believe that what he said is the truth and you start building your life towards what God has promised. So it's faith. But having said that, regardless of the season you are in, God is never going to deceive you. He's never going to lie. Different seasons, he gives us different instructions. But God's never going to lie to you. He's not going to deceive you. So here's, here's some thoughts about this. First of all, we need to be really careful about questioning what God has said. Remember, if you go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, original sin, you know where it started? It started when Satan walked in and said, now, did God really say that? Maybe he said this. Maybe what he meant was this. But the reason he said that was because he doesn't want you to experience this. He starts throwing in all these what ifs and all these questions. When God makes a promise to you, forget about the peripheral things, forget about the little side stories, set it all aside, get focused on God's promise, obey God, walk in faith, and let God be God in your life. Believe him to do what he's promised. But be careful about asking a million questions. 
Because there's some things that only God's going to know. There's some things only God can figure out. Can I go one step further and tell you, and I know this is hard for some people to believe, but there are some things that are coming down the road that you don't have any idea about that God knows all about it. And God's watching out for you. And sometimes God knows something we don't know. And we need to trust him and just take him at his word and follow his instructions and let him work out the little details. Another part of this is we also got to be careful about interpreting and reinterpreting what God has said. I, I can imagine Elijah. God, this brook is drying up. You told me to come here, the ravens and feed me. What am I going to do? God says, don't worry about it. The brook dries up. I got another place for you. The brook does dry up. What does he do? Go to Zarephath. I got a widow there. I, I told you last week, you know, Elijah was certainly a typical man. You know, he, he has the thought and he ties a knot and he goes to the next thing, ties a knot. He just thinks fast, just keeps going, da, 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 da. Typical man, doesn't think much about details. But I can see Elijah traveling across that desert 70, 80 miles on the way to the widow's house, knowing he's a wanted man, the king's after him, trying to travel incognito. I can see him going across the desert thinking all this stuff. Oh, yeah, there's this rich widow there. She's got a big ranch. You know, her husband just died in an accident. She's got cattle. She's got sheep. She's got all this stuff. It's going to be amazing there in Zarephath. Can't wait to get there. I'm going to lay by the pool and drink lemonade all day. Hallelujah. Just listen to God, you know. That's my kind of life. We always try to figure things out for God. Be careful about interpreting between the lines. Let God work that stuff out. Okay? Let God work that stuff out. And then another part of this, we need to stay focused on what God has promised. Young people, I know we got our teenagers in here, Dan. I love you guys, but I want to tell you something. Take the promises God's made to you, grab hold of them, and just believe him and keep following him and let him work out the details. Some of you, you know, some, some of you are 15 years old, worried about who you're going to marry. Don't worry about that. Start, start figuring out who you don't need to marry, okay? Start with that. That's the best advice I can give you. Start checking guys off the list, ladies. Start checking, nah, 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 don't need him. Let Corey and Amber help you with that list, okay? Let me help you with that list. There's a way of figuring out who you need to check off the list. But quit worrying about that. Well, who am I going to marry in seven years? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Put it in God's hands and he'll divinely put you together. That's the way God works. We need to learn to live that kind of life. And last part of this, God's place of provision may not be what I expected, but it's still God's place of provision. I didn't expect to go to the brook, but it worked out all right. I didn't expect to get to this widow and she's down to her last meal and she's broke, ready to die. But so be it. It's still God's place of provision. Even though it doesn't look right, doesn't mean it's not the right place. If God says it's the place, then go to the place and let God be God. Another part, trust God's process for your life. So think about faith. Faith is a process. Life is a process, but our faith is a process. Did you know God wants our faith to keep growing? God wants our faith to get stronger and stronger and stronger. But sometimes when we're in a place of need and we're in a time of transition and we got all these questions and we're uncertain about things, isn't it interesting how in those seasons sometimes we tend to panic and we tend to get worried? 
What we miss is sometimes, and everybody hear this, sometimes what God is trying to do in me is much more important than what God needs to do for me. Sometimes God's trying to do something in me that's more important than what he's trying to do for me. All I can see is, oh, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need you to do this for me. And God says, wait a minute, in this process, I'm going to be doing something in you. You say, what do you mean? Let me give you an example. Elijah, after three and a half years in this journey, and these two stories are about a three and a half year story. Somewhere in this journey, at the end of three and a half years, God's going to ask Elijah to go stand before Ahab again, who's wanting to kill him, and say, we're going to have a contest. Get the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel. He's going to get them there. Elijah is going to have to call down fire from heaven. Elijah, in that same day, is going to kill about seven or 800 prophets of Baal and their other servants in one day. In that same day, he's going to go pray a prayer and have to pray it seven times that rain will come again. And then it's going to be an unbelievable rain. And then he's going to run several miles so fast that he outruns the king's chariot. He's going to do all of that in one day. And friend, I'm going to tell you something. I don't care if he is a prophet of God. In order for that to happen, his faith is going to be, have to be strong enough to face that moment knowing God will do what he said. And God's wanting you to understand today this thing that you're dealing with that is so monstrous. Six weeks from now, you're going to look back and say, well, that wasn't such a big deal because you know God's got greater things down the road. He's going to be bigger in your future. But you've got to learn those faith lessons now. And it's a process. Turn to somebody and say, enjoy the process. And there, here's something interesting in this story. God told Elijah, go to Zarephath. I got a widow at Zarephath. There's a widow at Zarephath. Go there and there's a widow there to take care of you. The word Zarephath in the the original writings really means refinement. It it really paints a word picture of, of a crucible. A place where gold or silver is melted down and the impurities are taken out. What God's saying is go on this journey to Zarephath because there's some refining I need to do in your life. I'll tell you what, you leave from Brook, that's a big deal. You go to Zarephath and the widow is ready to lay down and die. There's some refining going to happen to your faith when you get to that place. But God led him to this place. Here's what Peter wrote about this very concept in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, there are times that we go through different kinds of challenging seasons and our faith is tested. He said, we need to learn to rejoice in those seasons and not get discouraged and get down when our faith is challenged. And he went on to say that the genuineness of our faith is produced by going through fire. It's the same thing as melting down gold. When your faith is in the fire, once you walk through that process, you come out stronger and more pure than ever before. Your faith in God is greater. But you've got to go through the process. I'll tell you something. If you've been walking with God 30 years, you should have great faith. If you just started walking with God, maybe you're challenged with these things. Don't worry about where you are. Just keep walking and let God keep working because we're all in process. Brother Skip, how long have you been serving God? 50 years? He's counting. He's ran out of fingers and toes. (laughs) Yell it out real loud. You've been, you've been walking with God 55 years. Are you still in process? Amen. Hey, just keep walking. Stay in process. 
Who, who's a good teenager down here that I know? <laughs> How long have you been walking with God? Like 10 years? Keep walking. It's a process. It's a process. It's a process. If we handle these challenges well, God will refine our faith. And, you know, sometimes all the side stories can take my heart and my attention away from God's promises. Now, before I go to the second point, let me share one last thing. One of the intriguing things to me about this story is that Elijah and this widow are in two totally different places of faith. Here's a prophet of God who's just stopped the rain. He's dried up the heavens because God told him to. Here's this amazing prophet, and God's still growing his faith, still refining him. Here's this Gentile woman who probably doesn't know much about God, has very little education about the real God, and she's in her process. They're at two different places of faith. But I, I want you to notice this. It's not... It's not uncommon that in times of need, in seasons of transition, God will cause paths of people to cross who are in totally different places, but we each have something that the other needs. It's not uncommon. You say, why are you saying this? Well, let me walk you through this for a minute. Sometimes in a season of need... God may ask me to get involved in somebody else's season of need. Problem is, when I'm in a season of need and I'm in a season of transition, I am so focused on me and God and me and God that somebody comes along with a need. I don't, can't, I don't have time for it now. My, my need's so much bigger right now. My, my need's more important right now. Sometimes I get these blinders on because I'm so consumed with myself and my need that I fail to miss divine appointments where God is trying to connect me with somebody else who's at a different place in faith, in a different season, but they also have a need. In some way, somehow, God's trying to connect us. Keep your heart and your life open. Don't get closed off in seasons of need. Don't lock down and crawl into a shell like a turtle. Stay out there and see what God wants to get you involved in. But in these seasons, in these seasons of transition, God needs me to manage my faith, not him. How many of you have ever, ever tried to manage God? How many have tried to micromanage God? That's even harder. God doesn't need any management. He just needs faith. He needs us to trust him. Second thought about this. God needs me to manage my faith, not somebody else's faith. When you run into somebody who's weaker in faith, be careful. Be careful about damaging them. Be careful about making them feel like they're less. Because they're not less. They're just at a different place. They've still got faith. When you see somebody who's struggling in their faith, don't condemn them for not having faith. Encourage them with God's word. Try to build up their faith. And be careful about hurting people who are struggling in their process. Because God doesn't need you to manage somebody else's faith. He just needs you to manage your faith. Amen? Yes. Now, let me go to the second part of this and finish this message. The last word I want to talk about, I want to tie two words together. It's generosity and giving. 
I know in the church world it, it, this is a sticky topic for a lot of people. But I'm going to be real simple and clear about this as we walk through it. Even difficult seasons require that I live with open hands. I've taught this. You've heard Zach teach about it. We, we've got to learn to live with our hands open. Being willing to give where God asks us to give. Even in difficult seasons. And, and I want us to focus, if we could, on this encounter, this first encounter with Elijah and this widow. It's really quite interesting. It's intriguing to me. This prophet has the audacity to walk into this town in a foreign country, sees this widow gathering sticks and says to her, would you bring me some water? They're, they're in a drought. Water's precious. So it's, it's a bit of a big ask. Would you bring me some water? Yes, this woman doesn't even know him. Would you bring me some water? She says, okay. So she goes to get water. He said, hey, you know what? While you're at it, how about you fix me something to eat? That's a bigger ask. And she turns to him and she says, hey, all I have is a handful of flour. Picture this. A handful of flour and a little bit of oil. I'm going to mix it up. I'm gathering these sticks to build a fire. I'm going to cook it, and all I've got enough for is just one cake, one little cake. My son and I are going to eat it, and then we're going to die. That's where this woman's at. We're going to eat it. We're going to die. We're at the end of the road. Elijah looks at her and says, okay, go ahead. But before you cook that stuff for yourself, mix it up, but, but take, take a little of it and make me a cake first. And then fix for your son and yourself. The audacity of this guy. I mean, he would be on all the news outlets and all the websites today for his <laughs> audacity to do such a thing. And every time I read this story, I, I always try to put myself in, in Elijah's shoes. And like I said last week, I'm so glad God didn't call me to be a prophet. I, I can't imagine me walking up to some woman and saying, hey, could you, could you give me something to eat? Now all I've got is enough money for a happy meal. My son and I are going to eat it and we're going to die. We're down to the end of our road. And me saying, well, hey, you know what? Be, instead of you getting that, get that happy meal, but let me have the French fries first and then you can have the burger. Or give me the burger and you can have the fries. That'd be even better. Can you, I, I can't imagine doing that. But that's the word of the Lord to Elijah. But then he goes one step further. He says, but here's the deal. If you'll do that, that little flour bin you've got, there will always be flour in that bin. And that little jar of oil, there will always be some oil in that jar until this drought is over. That's the word of the Lord to you. Pretty amazing. I mean, this prophet has the audacity to take a chunk of all she's got left but before I get to the whole point of this, let me, let me show you something. What does pressure do to us? We start thinking things through, and we start spending it, and worrying about it, and worrying about it, and the next thing you know, it starts affecting our stomachs, and the chemical balance going on down here. Then our nerves start getting tight, and our shoulders, and the neck start stiffening up, and then arms start stiffening up. And the truth is, pressure 
causes us to begin to shrink and contract. The first thing you know, here's what it does. It affects our heart. And we begin, I'm talking about our spiritual heart. And it causes us to begin to say, well, I, I, gotta, I gotta hold on, I gotta hold on, I gotta hold on. And as soon as your heart takes that posture, so does your hands. And my hands begin to clench and I'm uptight and I'm tense because things aren't going the way I think they need to go. And God made this promise and I, I gotta hold on and gotta get myself through this thing. You get all tense and all uptight. When I'm under pressure, I must be aware of the condition of my heart because the condition of my heart affects the posture of my hands. You know, we've already talked about obedience and faith. So let me just take a couple of minutes and really focus on this idea of generosity and giving. And I, I just want you to hear what I'm, saying, what I'm saying from the context of God's word here. God's provision for this woman, we don't know how long it lasted, but let's just say it was half of this three and a half years. That's for one and three quarters years. That's like, what, 16, 18 months. Longer than that. Anyway, here's the point. God's promise, his fulfillment to this woman, fulfilling this promise, it was all conditional upon her saying yes to the prophet of God. You can't separate it. If you read the story, you cannot separate it. She could look at Elijah and said, you're a crazy man. I'm not giving you any of this. God would have had to help him find another widow at Zarephath. But I want you to listen to me for a minute. How many times in life do I go through seasons of transition there's pressure there, so I start getting tense and uptight. And along comes this time when God says, you need to give. And whether it's a pastor at church or wherever it might be, somebody in need, you see their need and you think, well, I can't do that because i got to hold this for myself. And sometimes we miss God's provision for our future because we're not willing to open our hands and release the seed that's going to grow into our future. We can miss it. Now, let me stay here a minute. When I'm hopeless, I promise you, when I am hopeless, I want to receive. I want to receive. Oh, God, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. But when I'm hopeless, God may ask me to give. See, it works totally backwards from how we think as human beings. Now, I think we need to be fiscally responsible and sound in difficult seasons. We don't need to be foolish. But we always need to be sensitive to the voice of God because as Scripture teaches in the New Testament especially, oftentimes what I give away becomes the seed that grows God's provision for my future. Money is seen as seed. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Galatians chapter 6. It's there. And we need to understand Oftentimes, God attaches his promise to his request. Here, you need to help meet this need. But God, just help meet the need because your future blessing is attached to this. It stretches our obedience. It stretches our faith. But let me, let me just address this real quickly. I know different churches have different philosophies about giving. I know that. And one of the buzzwords in society today, in church society, is don't talk about money. Don't talk about money. And 
One of the things you hear from people is, well, I went to church and all they talk about is money. I had a, a lady who used to go to this church, I don't know, 12, 14 years ago. Somebody in the church or somebody, they ran into her here a while back and said, hey, I haven't seen you in years. Where you been? She said, well, I quit going to that church because all they do is talk about money. And I thought, well, she must not have been here in 12 or 14 years, if that's what she thinks. And can I just give you some food for thought? The Old Testament teaches prosperity for God's people, which means enough and then enough extra to be a blessing. That's what the Old Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches that the blessing of Abraham comes upon us in Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. Whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, the only place in the Bible that says God will open the windows of heaven over our lives says it's conditional upon our giving. That's Old Testament. Somebody, well, that's Old Testament, don't pay attention to this. Well, let me give you something out of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says you need to determine in your own heart how you want to give. But if you give a little, you get back a little. If you give a lot, you get back a lot. He said you choose for yourself. And then he says this. But God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, can abound to every good work. What he's saying is, God will pour blessing into our lives. So we always have what we need, and then we're able to turn around and bless others. That's God's promise to us. Then he goes so far as to say, God gives to every person in order. Here's how he describes it. In order, God gives to every person seed for sowing and bread for food. But so many of us are eating our seed and that we don't understand why our future isn't changing. We need to learn to live with open hands and open hearts, giving back to God for his goodness. And so let me just give you the numbers real quick. The average Sunday morning, we take two to three minutes just before we receive an offering to thank you for your giving and just tell you a little bit about what God's doing through the church. Two to three minutes. And normally our services last from 70 to 75 minutes. So let's just go with the 75 minutes, okay? Let's just take that number. In the average Sunday morning, we spend 4% of our time talking about money. The average television show in an hour, they spend 17 minutes, which is 28% of the hour, showing commercials talking about buying something. Radio... It's better. They only spend 14 minutes, which is 23% of your hour. Well, church only talks about money, not nearly as much as radio and TV. They pass the plate every seven minutes. We pass it one time every 80 minutes. Smile at me. (laughs) Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. If you go and look at his parables. Solomon, in in the book of Proverbs, talked about money and wealth over a hundred times. Having said that, I'm almost finished, so hear me out. Sometimes God will ask me to give something that I think I really need. But it's seed for his provision in the future. Sometimes God will ask me to give when I don't want to give. Anybody ever been there? God ever asked you to give when you didn't want to give? I've had it happen. And it may be a test of my faith, my obedience, and my generosity. Sometimes God may ask me to give to something 
or give to someone to which I don't want to give. But it's my generosity and my willingness to give that's being tested. What I've learned through the years is my obedience in giving is more important than the gift that I give. I could stand here today and tell you all kinds of stories, but I don't have time. So let me finish my message. When I look at Elijah and the widow, I look at that whole scene. You know, after it's over, for many days, it may have been a year and a half, it may have been longer, it may have been a little shorter, we don't know exactly. But for many days, that barrel of flour always had flour in it. When she went to get it, it was always there. Whatever she needed, it was always there. That bottle of oil never ran dry. She didn't replenish it, God did, every single day. Let me ask you a question. Who needed who the most? Did Elijah need the widow more than she needed him? Or is it the other way around? See, I don't know that we can decide. I think they each, in different places of faith, by God's design, needed each other. Why am I saying that? Let me put it in modern vernacular. In a difficult season of transition and lack and need and drought, the best thing that ever happened to that widow in that season was for Elijah to show up and ask for the last part of her happy meal. Amen. Best thing that ever happened to her. Because God attached a promise to it. Did you know God never asks us to give without a pro to attaching a promise to it? It's in the scripture. That doesn't mean we only give to get. Of course not. We give to honor God. That's the first fruits. But when God asks us to give beyond that, there's always a promise attached to it. We're sowing into the future. Before I finish, some will say, well, I just don't know if I believe that. Well, let me give you one last illustration. From the beginning of time, before God ever created the earth, before you and I, before mankind was ever created on this earth, God wanted a big family. And sin separated everybody from God. It disqualified them from being his family. So God had an answer. He took his own son and put him on a cross as a seed. God had the faith to believe if I put my own son on a cross to pay for their sins, someday I'll have millions of sons and daughters. Then God says, can you live by the same principle? Maybe you're here today and you've listened to this message. And maybe you've been listening and you're thinking, yeah, you know, it's a cool story. It's really neat. And, but this thing about faith, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to work all that out. And this thing about giving, man, I don't fully understand it. But as I share this part of the story, maybe something's tugging at your heart and you're realizing there's something real about this story. And maybe you're sitting there, and maybe God's tugging at your heart, and you don't even know what it is, and you're thinking, what's going on here? God's trying to tell you, I'm calling you to be a part of my family. I'm inviting you to be one of my children. I can help lead you through life. I can make life better, and then I can secure eternity where you can know me forever. 
God sends us that invitation, but we have to respond to it. He wants an RSVP that says, I'm in. I'm in. I want this. The way we do that is through words. Words. Prayer saying, God, I need you in my life. I want you in my life. I say yes to you. I want to lead you in a prayer today that will give everybody in this room an opportunity to open that door and begin that relationship with God. Jesus died for our sins. He was raised from the dead because God accepted the sacrifice. Now he says to you, I want to accept you as one of my sons just as Jesus is my son. I want to accept you as my daughter just as I've accepted Jesus. we got to say yes to him. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I want to ask everybody here, if you would pray this prayer out loud, it'll make it easier for those praying for the first time. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, repeat this prayer after me. Say, God, I need you, and I want you in my life. So I open my heart to you. Please come in. I accept Jesus as my Savior. His sacrifice on the cross is full payment for my sins. I will follow you and learn your ways. I want to be your child. I want you to be my father. I don't have all the answers. Some things I may even be confused. Teach me your ways. I will follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, preached a message today and shared two final thoughts with you I want you to walk those things out put them to work in your own life as God leads you faith generosity and giving but I want to say to those of you who prayed that prayer and asked the Lord into your heart for the first time or maybe you've been the prodigal and you've just been in hiding for a long time and you decide it's time to come home this is the most important decision you ever make in life but it's not the end it's just the beginning the process of learning to know God and grow in a relationship with Him. We want to help you with that. You've opened the door. You've begun the relationship. We've got a little tool, a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just simple reading for the next week to help you understand a little bit about how much God loves you and all the great plans He has for your life. We want to give it to you. When service is over, we'll have prayer teams here at the front of the room. They're here to pray with anyone for any need. If you just walk down here and say, hey, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you there. No strings attached. If you want to get it and go, that's fine. If you've got questions, they can help answer questions. If you want prayer for something else, they're here to pray with you. If you're in a big rush, before you leave the building, at the glass doors as you exit, right in the middle, there's a big table and a sign set up. It says the next seven days. They'll give you the same booklet there. No strings attached. Just stop by and see them and ask for it. Hey, God bless you. You've just made the greatest decision of your life. Let us help you follow through and get you started walking with God. Can we put our hands together today and welcome...